0: Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. So let's hear the words of the disciple Jesus loved. This is found on 896 in your Pew Bible. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. Here's what he says Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow them, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: well thank you taylor uh good morning everybody uh it's nice to be at the brookside campus this morning and uh as i do i like to give greetings from our wonderful shawnee campus and uh olathe leewood and downtown as well so it's a real joy to to be with you and be with this team and uh, we hope pastor bill who's totally awesome has a good rest right good sabbatical rest well as human beings we are uh probably a lot more like sheep than we would imagine right and like sheep, we have a herd mentality. You know what that's like. Um, we fear missing out on some big happening. We may join in uh, the great bull stock market and follow everybody there. We may get on the bandwagon of uh, the latest winning football team, of course the Chiefs. Or we may sort of click on the latest link in the internet of a particular video that's gone viral. You know, we're all very herd kind of people, but we're also like sheep in the fact that we venture out on our own and sometimes really mess up. Watch this. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that just like what we're all like? I mean, come on, let's be honest. We're a lot like that sheep, aren't we? right? We all need a shepherd, that's what it means, and a good shepherd who is attentive to us. Uh, It was the 20th century wonderful French philosopher Simone Weil who described love perhaps better than anyone I know, and she defined love as, love is focused attention. But what does loving attentiveness look like? What does an attentive good shepherd look like? This is the question that the writer john gives to us this morning in our text this is what he wants us to explore together so if you have a bible turn with me to the gospel of john it's in the new testament it goes matthew mark luke and john if you're newer to the scriptures now we have been looking at this uh, remarkable gospel across our campuses this summer and i want to remind you of what brilliant literary artistry we are engaged in because this book Uh, has been read by more humans ever than any other book in human history. It's been translated in more languages, and truly we are in a place of extraordinary, not only truth, but brilliant literary artistry. And I hope you'll see a little more of that as we unpack it. As we set the literary and historical context of this amazing book called The Gospel of John, we need to see the context that just before this, there's this growing tension between the religious leaders uh, of the Jewish people in Jesus' time and with Jesus, so this tension is bubbling up through the chapters that emerge around John chapter 10. So as you might know, and if you've read the New Testament, you know Jesus often taught in stories there 's a certain literary genre called parables, and here in John 10, the entire chapter is built around an extended parable, and embedded in that parable is a shepherding metaphor. So for us to enter that first century world, we need to think back a little bit because Jesus' first century listeners, hey, they hung around sheep all the time. I don't know about you, but we don't really hang around sheep. We hang around dogs and things like that. So we need to sort of understand some of the dynamics that are going on here that John's first century uh, listeners heard immediately, right? Now, I don't know much about sheep, actually, but I do know a little bit about farm animals. I grew up on a farm as a real small child uh, in a Minnesota dairy farm. And uh, one thing I learned as a young boy is that farm animals need constant care if they're going to have any kind of well-being. And this is true of a first century shepherd. Uh, Shepherds required one thing more than anything else, and that was a constant attentiveness. Uh, They had to be attentive all the time to the well-being of each sheep, right? There was a constantly changing environment. If you've ever been in the Middle East, and my wife and I have studied there and lived there for a while, Uh, it is an amazing place. There's ongoing threats, were a daily occurrence, dangerous terrain. I mean, it wasn't like flat Kansas, okay? And it was a hostile wilderness environment constantly. So to thrive, the most important thing any sheep needed was one thing, and that was an attentive shepherd. Everybody knew that who was listening to Jesus' first century words, and we need to grasp that. John knew that. So here in John chapter 10... Jesus points us to himself as the good shepherd, and he helps us see three characteristics of an attentive shepherd. We may call them the threads of attentiveness, three of them. So this text is flowing around these three. What are they as we walk through this? First, the first thread or characteristic of an attentive shepherd is he knows us by name. He knows us by name. Then following that on the heels of that is the second thread, attentive thread. He protects us from evil. He protects us from evil. And then third, the text builds to a literary crescendo. He holds us and never lets us go. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. The first thread of attentiveness, the characteristic of a good shepherd, is the good shepherd knows each of us by name. Look at me at verse 1. Jesus begins here. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold but by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So we need to unpack some of these pictures here, literary pictures. What is Jesus referring to, after all, of a sheepfold and a door? Well, we have one picture of a first century sheepfold. You get an idea, and it helps us see it. This is where sheep... Uh, they grazed during the day, and they were placed in here in the evening as an enclosure that protected them. And you'll notice the door is that opening there. It doesn't have a gate. The shepherd actually laid down there and slept there. Okay, so we need to have this picture as everyone who heard Jesus' words in the first century understood this, but we need to enter that world, okay? So Jesus is painting this picture for us, and the door, it prevented sheep from wandering out. wanted a good night snack, or anyone entering in. Okay, the door was like a first century home alarm system. That's what it was like. Okay. Think of an alarm system. Okay. So Jesus also speaks not only of sheepfolds and doors, but of notice the text, thieves and robbers. So Jesus is pointing out, if you know in the context, that there are bad leaders or bad shepherds and he is speaking to them. They are the religious leaders of his day, and they're really out for themselves. Now, another thing to be aware of, John's gospel is deeply embedded in Torah, or the Old Testament sections of the Bible. All the way through its literature, its structure, its language, even though written in Greek, has all these Hebrew allusions of the Old Testament. And here, just lurking in the background, in the shadows of this literature, is the Old Testament, particularly Ezekiel chapter 34. Jesus knew that, He knew the Old Testament. He had it memorized. So it it, it is woven through Jesus' teaching as well as John did. Ezekiel chapter 34, again, is all over John 10. And Ezekiel called out in his day the spiritual leaders of Israel. If you study antiquity, you know that the primary metaphor of leadership in great antiquity is shepherding. So Jesus and John are in that same uh, tributary of thought throughout antiquity. Ezekiel, in his time, calls out the spiritual leaders of Israel who neglected the sheep, and if you look at Ezekiel 34, they not only neglected them, they led them with force and harshness. So this is the backdrop of John 10. But bad leadership, as you know, bad shepherding leadership is not just a product of the first century, it's a reality in our world now, right? It's amazing how the Bible speaks into our 21st century world because we know leadership really matters. And it matters in institutions, businesses we lead, nations, Governments, churches, and Christian organizations. They flourish or languish fundamentally based on the leadership that serves them or disserves them. We observe leaders in our time, don't we, who are in it for themselves, their ego, their wealth, their success, their power, their brand. And we all too often hear of scandals of spiritual leaders who espouse false doctrine who accommodate themselves to the winds of current culture, who live duplicitous lives, who abuse the vulnerable and abuse power. We hear more and more of that. But we also, isn't it true, encounter other kind of leaders in other dimensions in our life as well, right? It can be a narcissistic boss. I hope none of you are that, if you're a boss. Uh, a teacher, a professor, a spouse, a family member. And I would say for your consideration, perhaps the greatest leadership challenge of our day is the actual crisis of leadership itself. We so desperately need in our lives, our businesses, the marketplace, our governments, our institution, our churches, and our world, we need them led by good shepherd leaders. So let me pause for a moment in our 21st century world and ask you, where has God called you tomorrow? Some of us have positions of leadership in a company or an institution or a professor or whatever. But all of us have influence wherever we have dominion in our life, wherever we are to exercise that influence. And let me ask you, as you look at your Monday world, are you exhibiting the kind of shepherding leadership that Jesus is talking about so that others around you can flourish? Are you leading out of the overflow of your soul? Now, as Jesus begins to paint the picture of leadership, now notice how he really abruptly pivots in verse 2 with a strong adversative conjunction. Notice the word but. It's very significant. He points now to himself in contrast to being the good shepherd. But he, verses 2 through 5, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. Now, as we read this, notice the repetition, the antiphonal repetition of voice. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now Jesus is emphasizing in text and in repetition that each sheep each one knows the voice of their good shepherd and the good shepherd knows each one of his sheep by name now this is very significant this is not a throwaway phrase knowing each sheep by name communicates to us as a reader the shepherd's high high value of each specific sheep and its particular uniqueness or need now hold that in your heart Think about that for a moment, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that no one cares for you as an individual. Now think how radical this is in a very community-based culture. It's not an individualized culture in the first century. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus knows you. He gets you better than anybody else, and he cares for you more than anyone else. Let that sink in for a moment with your mind and heart this morning. And notice, Jesus goes on to say, each sheep hears the shepherd's distinct voice. Now, why why the voice emphasis? Surely the voice communicates what the shepherd wants to communicate, but it's much more than words. Do not miss this. The voice of the shepherd reflects a predictable pattern of the shepherd's true character. In other words, hear me carefully. Hearing the shepherd's voice not only communicates what he wants wants us to hear, but it also reveals profoundly who he truly is. So the shepherd discloses himself, his character, as one whose love will never quit. A writer I love, and I hope you have been exposed to him, is Wendell Berry. Uh, Wendell Berry is an American philosopher, a remarkable poet, essayist. I have never met him. I actually heard him speak one time, but I didn't have the courage to go up and say hi to him. He's one of my heroes as a writer. (laughs) But it's amazing when you have a writer. Maybe Wendell Berry is not your main writer, but you read a writer a lot, like almost everything they have written. You really begin to feel like you know him pretty well, right? You begin to feel his character, his values, what matters most to him. It percolates through his writings. And writings reflect a consistent voice of character, a predictable pattern of the author. And that is true what Jesus is saying of the shepherd. The shepherd's voice is like that. And notice also in verse seven, now Jesus tells us the good shepherd is the door. Remember we talked about the home security alarm system, but there's more going on here too. That is, he focuses, he is the door. That he has the attentive presence. He is the constant protector, but his focus here Is built on in John chapter 14, and that he is the exclusive entrance to the kingdom of God. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. These are strong truth claims, but Jesus unabashedly makes it about himself, and then he contrasts himself to others, and he points out now in verse 10 the thief with a different character, A different pattern. Look at verse 10 if you have your Bible open. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then Jesus says emphatically in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good here in English sounds kind of vanilla, but it's not in the Greek text. It's the picture of the most noble model ideal leader. That's the idea. And that is seen in the shepherd's willingness to what? To lay down his life for the sheep. In other words, you sense that the sheep, the the thief, the the false shepherd, steals, kills, and destroys, but the model shepherd, the truly good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you know that John is building to a crescendo where the good shepherd will paradoxically become the sheep as he gives his life on the cross. This is the paradox that he begins to unpack. This is the heart of the good news of the gospel, that we can be forgiven, right? And given by grace through faith, brand new life. Because he's not only the good shepherd, he is the sacrificial lamb. So you'll notice first, Jesus tells us, our good and attentive shepherd knows us by name. But secondly, notice where he goes as he tells this truth. Secondly, he protects us from evil. This is the second attentive thread. Look at verses 12 through 13. Notice what Jesus says. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is interjecting two more characters in his story, his parable. Notice, the bad shepherd is now compared to a hired hand. That is, someone who is a leader that is unwilling to sacrifice for those they lead, but simply is focused on self-interest. Do you see that? We may say today, they don't have skin in the game. What a contrast to the good shepherd, who not only has skin in the game, but will lay his entire life down for the sheep. But Jesus introduces another more sinister character into his story, and that is the wolf. Do you see it? He repeats it twice. In the wilderness in the first century, wolves were the most cunning, ruthless predators as a pack in the entire wilderness. They were enemy number one to sheep and shepherds. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is painting the most vivid picture of the cunning intelligence, the ubiquitous presence, and the resilient predation of wolves. Jesus' imagery is still lingering today, isn't it? I mean, in the 21st century, can you imagine this? We often say leaders who are duplicitous, especially spiritual leaders, who espouse false doctrine, as what? Wolves in sheep's clothing. And here is what Jesus is describing. Now, let's remember the context. In John chapter 8, you can look back this week, Jesus speaks of the devil, or evil, the evil one, in his most profound teaching on evil and the evil one, in John 8. The most profound teaching Jesus ever gives on evil and the evil one. So if you haven't looked at that, you may look at that. But he's described by Jesus as what? The father of lies, there's no truth in him. He is deceptive to the core. What's important for us to understand that Jesus, both in uh, specific teaching, propositional and parabolic teaching, he emphasizes the presence of evil and the evil one in the world. This is not the brilliant Jesus, the most brilliant being of the universe, the most brilliant person who ever walked on the earth, as mythical or allegorical sophistry. Jesus understood evil and the evil one as very real, as real as gravity. But many of us today who live in the 21st century in what Charles Taylor has rightly labeled a secular age, the plausibility of Satan's existence, let alone his nefarious presence, is easily ignored and often quickly dismissed But the eyes of our cultural blindness and generational blindness can be opened when we hear the timeless words of, let's say, the brilliant reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century who did not have our generational and cultural blindness. And perhaps one of the greatest hymns of the church, you may have heard it if you grew up in the church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther captures Jesus' teaching at his prayer. Right? In the Lord's Prayer, his primary prayer is what? a part of this, deliver us from evil. And Martin Luther understood that. He reminds us of the presence of the evil one in in the world, right? He says, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. That's what Jesus is saying here. And how he tells us we need a good shepherd, We need a good shepherd, each of us, to deliver us from evil and to protect us from evil, not only in our own heart but in the world around us. Now, Jesus' words here in John 10 also reflect in structure, in language, and in syntax the very familiarity Jesus had with Psalm 23. He knew it. And it seeps into this text as well. King David in Psalm 23, if you remember, describes the Lord as what? As his shepherd who is constantly attentive to him, who is guiding him, who's providing for him and protecting him. And David says of his attentive shepherd, even though I walk through the darkest valley, some translations say death, that's certainly a dark valley, but any dark valley, he says, I will not fear, for you, O Lord, my shepherd, are always with me. See, we not only live in a very secular age, We also live in a very fearful age, don't we? Let me just suggest for your consideration this morning, could the two be closely linked? I think so, if you're a student of history. The more secular we become, the more afraid we feel. How we need a good shepherd, each one of us in our time. But it's not only fear that we confront, it's incredible loneliness in the midst of so much information. We've never felt more lonely, yet so connected to the world. And we not only feel alone, we feel deeply alone. And you may be here this morning wrestling with loneliness or aloneness. And the Holy Scriptures remind each of us, and Jesus reminds us in the shepherding metaphor, that we are never alone. Our God is always with us. Our good shepherd is always with us. He's not only with us, he's attentive to us. He's watching over us. So Jesus says there are three threads of attentiveness of the good shepherd. First, the good shepherd knows each of us by name. Let that sink in. But secondly, he protects us from evil. But third is the, perhaps the most awesome news imaginable. The third truth, the third thread of his attentive presence, the characteristic of a good shepherd is he holds us and never lets us go. Look with me at the imagery in verses 27 to 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I hope you hear these words from Jesus. With your heart and mind today they are some of the most amazing hopeful life-giving words ever uttered to humanity for those who will choose to follow him as their good shepherd jesus promises something amazing here do you see it the deepest intimacy our hearts long for and the true security our hearts long for that's not found anywhere else his sheep will hear his voice jesus said they'll be known by him he will give them eternal life now and forever, and no person or power or circumstance will ever be able to snatch them out of his hand. I love that imagery because it reminds me in our neighborhood. Listen, I live in a neighborhood where one of the older folks in our neighborhood, there's lots of young families and little children playing on the yards, which is so cool, y'all. We have the most cool young neighbors, and also, though, we have some you know, people who tend to want to speed through our neighborhood. I'm sure you don't have that in your neighborhood, right? Like a delivery truck that goes too fast or whatever. And it happens periodically. They'll be outside seeing the kids play with their parents, young kids play with their parents, and the delivery truck will come zoom in too fast. What do those parents do? They reach out and hold on to their children. They will not let their children go for life or limb, right? That's the picture that John is giving us through the words of Jesus. Jesus, the good shepherd, will never let you go. He will hold on to you for dear life. In fact, he gave up his life for you. Even in the deepest valleys you face, even in our most unsettling doubts, even in our most besetting sins, even in our greatest perplexities, even in the dangers we see and the ones we do not see, Jesus is there for us. The good shepherd holds us and will not let go. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do we hear what Jesus is saying? In Christ, we are deeply loved. We are completely secure in that love. Just let that sink in a moment. No matter the difficult heartache you may feel this morning, the circumstances that greet you tomorrow morning at your workplace, relationships you are struggling with, you are secure in His attentive love. None of us in the Good Shepherd's hands needs to live a life paralyzed by worry or fear. In our Good Shepherd's attentive love, we are invited to experience the most intimate relationship where we know our Lord and are truly known by Him. I don't know if you had the opportunity to hear Dr. Kurt Thompson, our friend who's a psychiatrist and a remarkable writer, who came to Christ Community about a year ago and spoke. Dr. Thompson reminded us that human flourishing requires relational intimacy of four S's, maybe you remember this, I love this, that each of us needs to feel deeply seen, safe, secure, and soothed. In other words, we long to be known, don't we? But that means first we need to be seen for who we are and who we're becoming. We long deeply for a sense of safety, all of us, in our vulnerability and transparency. We long to be secure and knowing that we will not face rejection when people truly know who we are and we need to be soothed, that is to experience empathy. We need to feel felt. All that is wrapped by brilliant Jesus in the good shepherd metaphor. In Jesus, our good, attentive shepherd, we are seen deeply, we are perfectly safe, we are absolutely secure, and we are lovingly soothed. In the good shepherd's attentive care, we experience, like nowhere else in the world, no other person, his true rest his great shalom, his peace, his hope, and his beauty. To follow him is to be fully known by him and to be fully loved by him. No one else in the world can promise you that. The attentive of love is captured thousands of years ago by the Hebrew poetry, perhaps the most beautiful Hebrew poetry ever written by King David. Psalm 23, I hope you know it, if not, Memorize it and make it the first thing you remember in the morning and right before you go to bed, which I often do. It's my constant soul companion. How does Psalm 23 end, friends? Psalm 23 ends, surely goodness and mercy will literally pursue me, chase me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love Eugene Peterson who paraphrases this. Listen to his paraphrase. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. We need a good shepherd. You need a good shepherd. I need a good shepherd. Because only the good shepherd can meet the deepest needs of our heart, the deepest longings of our heart. Jesus reminds us in this text of his loving attentiveness. He knows your name. He will protect you from evil, and he will hold you and never let you go. And he tells us those who are his, hear his voice. And you may be wondering in this text or so much on hearing his voice. How do we hear it? Sometimes you may say, I don't hear his voice. So let me move to a bit of more practical reflection, okay? How, how do we hear the shepherd's voice? Like a lot of things, God's voice is hard to define exactly, but recognizing it in our experience is something, as apprentices of Jesus, over time, we gain with both competency and confidence. What we mean about hearing the voice of God in a personal way are those inner thoughts and perhaps lingering impressions that we experience from time to time. Yet most importantly, for us, each of us here, is realizing that hearing God's voice flows from a growing and loving relationship with him first. Dr. Dallas Willard, who profoundly shaped Christ's community and profoundly shaped my life, I encourage you to read everything he's ever written. He's with Jesus now, fully. His first book in the Christian world, not in philosophy, was Hearing God. It's a brilliant book. I recommend it to you. It really captures so much of the nuances of this in such a deep way. I can't highlight that, but he highlights this. He says, we must therefore make it our primary goal not just to hear the voice of God, but to be mature people in a loving relationship with him. Only in this way will we we hear him rightly. So let me get a little specific for you. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life, but let me be practical, okay? How do we recognize God's voice? Let me give you three suggestions, three specific things I think you can begin to really think about. Number one, His voice will speak the good news of the gospel. In other words, His voice, when you hear it, always has a deep longing for everyone to know Him, to come to saving faith. Secondly, His voice will reflect His consistent holy character. His holy character. His voice will speak the truth of his amazing grace and love, but also, and I think this is really important in our time, the seriousness of sin and the reality of judgment and accountability before God. God's voice will also never guide you in a way that is not Christ-like in word, thought, and in deed. His voice will never tempt you or assist you in rationalizing any sinful thought, word, or deed or even nudge you or encourage you to the slightest disobedience. His voice always reflects his consistent holy character. Third, his voice always resonates with Holy Scripture. His voice will never contradict the teaching of Holy Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. The primary way, but not the only way God speaks to us, is Holy Scripture, This is one of the most compelling reasons why we need to, all of us, embrace the spiritual discipline of studying the Holy Scripture. Paul writes, let the words of Christ, remember Jesus affirmed the entire Bible. He fulfilled it all, so he affirms every jot and tittle, every Hebrew letter of the Scriptures. Jesus says it's inspired. Okay? He says, let the word of Christ particularly richly dwell within you. So the more we grasp Scripture, God's word says, hide it in our hearts, embody it in our bodies and our minds and obey its teachings, the better we are able to discern God's voice. Hear me carefully. The more we walk in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, in our individual lives and within local church community, the more we will hear his voice individually and collectively. Now hear this carefully because this is often missed. Those who know Jesus most intimately will hear his voice most clearly and most often. Let me say that again. Those who know Jesus most intimately, and that's a life pursuit, y'all, hear his voice most clearly and most often. That's how we begin to recognize his voice. Second question you may be asking, how can we better hear his voice? You may say, well, I don't always hear it very well. Let me say a couple things, okay, just to maybe help each of us in this journey. Our attentive good shepherd does not compete for our attention. God is not coercive. Jesus is not coercive. His still small voice has many rivals in our world and our life, but he will not compete for our attention. There are three rivals. I call them the three Ds. They're not exactly Ds, but they sound like it. Distraction, disobedience, and then discipline. Let me suggest a couple reminders if you're wanting to learn more here. Number one. Tone down the noise in your life. Tone down the noise in your life. This is the rival of distraction. We live in an incredibly distracted era. Our attention is constantly being wooed by an overwhelming onslaught of the information age. Isn't it true there's so much background noise in our lives? You know, I uh, find myself every now and then in a restaurant. Maybe you do too. That's because I have old ears, but you know what that's like in a busy restaurant. People are talking, and you're having this great dinner with friends, and you are trying to hear what they say, and you kind of lean into them, right? Like, what was that? That's the picture. We live in a, a, a time with great noise, and we can't hear people speaking. This is often true of Jesus, right? And as a teenager, I was really into wrestling, and one of the things my coach always reminded me when I got on the mat was to tune out the noise of the crowd. Right before I get on the mat. Because We all know we have loyal fans and parents and brothers, like, you know, they're just screaming at us to win. But I'll never forget my coach telling tune out the noise of the crowd, Tom. Tune out the noise of the crowd. Just listen to me. What good advice the Good Shepherd gives us. Tune out the noise of the crowd and listen to our Good Shepherd. A frenetic-paced lifestyle of busyness and hurriedness is the greatest challenge to most of our spiritual formation Today. We don't think of that as the big sin, but it's perhaps the most blinding reality in our life. And it blinds us, and it shuts down our hearing to the still voice of God. Dallas Willard gave great advice. in has got the book has written about this. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. So what in my daily life and way of living is hindering me from hearing his voice? Am I in control of my screens and cell phones and social media, or are they in control of me? Secondly, have regular heart checkups. This is the rival of disobedience. Let me just simply say that disobedience keeps us from hearing our good shepherd's voice because the problem of the heart is often the problem of the heart, right? The psalmist says if I harbor sin in my heart, that's willful kind of disobedience. The Lord does not hear me, but that's also reciprocal. It's true of us not hearing God. Willful disobedience blocks intimate communication. John 14, 21, Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And the word disclose means intimate. I will disclose myself to him. I will make myself real to them. I will speak to him or her, and they will hear my voice. Willful disobedience in our life greatly hinders our ability to hear God's voice. It also quenches the Holy Spirit's work in our life and our community. Lastly, carve out regular times for solitude, study, and prayer. Hearing God's voice. This is the rival of indiscipline or apathy or indifference. Hearing God's voice involves regularly placing our minds, hearts, and bodies in postures and spaces where we can more clearly hear God's voice. This is our joy. This includes spiritual disciplines. At Christ community, we talk a lot about that. We carve out regular times as apprentices of Jesus for individual solitude, study, and prayer. Plan this time in your week, in your month, like you would an appointment in your calendar on your phone. And this includes also embracing regular rhythms of Sabbath rest. God designed that. And weekly corporate worship. Weekly corporate worship is really important. I say this not in a self-serving way, but because I love and care for you. Hearing God's voice is not only an individual reality, it is a corporate reality. And Sunday worship is important for many things, but one of the most compelling reasons is that it is here we hear God's voice together through the lyrics of the songs, through a prayer, through the preaching of the word, through a conversation with a trusted friend who gives us wise advice. and Perhaps being involved in a small community of friends, a small group, again, is a part of learning to hear God's voice together. We are more like sheep than we care to admit. Each one of us here this morning needs a good shepherd. The good shepherd who knows us by name, who protects us from evil, and who will hold us and never let us go. That good shepherd is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the good shepherd. And with your loving attentiveness, we rest as your sheep. May we learn to obey you, follow you, to experience deeper intimacy with you and keep us close to your heart, we pray, amen.